today's scripture is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And in the same region there were shepherds on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone upon all around them. They were filled with great fear. And the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will fill, find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Manger. <laughs> and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel that he was before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Let's thank the McNaughton family. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pam. All right. And now, uh, church, I'm going to go ahead and invite up a good friend uh, who I'm excited for us to hear from this morning. Um, this is Anthony Hernandez. Um, let's go ahead and welcome him, too, and thank Anthony. Um, so Anthony is, uh, has become, again, has become a, a friend of mine. He's worked in ministry um, for a lo long time. And, um, and, and so, Anthony, we're excited to hear, to hear from, from you and uh, hear what the Lord has put on, on your heart. Uh, he's a part of the Redemption North Mountain congregation. And, uh, yeah, so I think planted, what, a few months ago, maybe six months ago? It was actually January 1, or January 10th. Oh, okay, okay, I stand corrected. Um, so, yeah, so almost a, a year um, I don't know if you were going to say this, so I'll go ahead and do it about um, handing out Bibles. Um, can we go ahead, if you uh, have a copy of God's Word, you can turn with us where we'll be in, in Luke together. If you don't and you would like one, which we would encourage, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? We want to get you a copy of God's Word, um, and someone will get you one. Uh, and if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levantando su mano y diga español. Um, y uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Um, so again, Anthony, how about I go ahead and pray, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, please do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Anthony. Um, thank you that he takes your words seriously. And uh, as he has prepared for this, I know he has prayed, he has thought um, a, a lot about what you want to communicate through him to a group of people that for the most part he doesn't know Lord, he knows that they are yours, Lord, that we are yours. 
And uh, Lord, we pray that our brother uh, will be filled with your spirit to communicate your words. And Lord, that you will shape us and mold us and grow us more and more into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, bro. Well, good to meet you guys. Redemption Tucson. I was joking with my wife uh, yesterday, I think it was last night, that I was going to come up here and just shout out Redemption Tucson and uh, drop the ball on that already. But um, you guys, it's already felt like family. Um, There are a couple people from Redemption North Mountain, some familiar faces right there. I see you guys, Uh, DeBartolo crew. Um, And so it's good to to see some uh, familiar faces, but to meet uh, the people that I've met so far, it's felt like family. It's been so welcoming being here. And you guys got a big crew. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, where Tucson stood. North Mountain's still pretty small. You know, we just got started this year. I see you guys up on the balcony. Um, You guys down here, you guys are filling this place up. So um, obviously God is doing uh, a mighty thing here. Before I introduce myself, um, I just wanted to say I appreciate, what was his name, Alex, your boy? I loved loved that he was up here because what it reminded me of is sometimes when we look at passages in Scripture, we like to scrub it of the messiness of life. And, you know, we're talking about Jesus in a manger, and I don't know how you picture Jesus in a manger, but I have five daughters, and there there was no quiet peacefulness when they were in their in their crib. So Jesus was probably uh, giving Joseph and Mary a couple headaches from time to time and, um, you know, not not being well behaved, buttoned up, you know, with, with my five kids, it can be a struggle. So so seeing him up here was actually a blessing for me, a reminder of, of the reality of, of what we learn and, and love in God's word. So I appreciate that. Tell Alex if he even understands that. I appreciate that. But don't do it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Now, uh, well, like Dave introduced, I'm Anthony. I'm from the North Mountain campus. Um, before that, I was a deacon at Redemption Alhambra for a number of years. They don't have any kind of formal pastoral residency, uh, but I was technically part of a group that would probably fit in that same vein. Um, a number of years back, I was actually a youth pastor at a church in Maryville. Um, left that, did some social work, behavioral health for a, a couple years. Uh, before landing a corporate gig, so now I'm doing transportation damage claims. So my life is just full of all kinds of fun at all times. Um, but God has me on a journey. Um, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, my parents were always giving me the opportunity to go to church uh, with friends. I had a lot of friends that went to church, but I obviously I wasn't a believer. Um, and then somebody said, hey, we're going to go to a church camp, a Young Life church camp up in North California called Woodleaf. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pretty girls there, so do you want to come? I said, of course I want to come to that camp. And lo and behold, on a Wednesday night chapel, this man got up and he preached the gospel like I had never heard it before. And uh, it was like the lights came on. It was like this ex- explosive event. I was straight A student. I was a goody-good in school and on my way to becoming a surgeon, and that all stopped. All I knew at 16 years old was whatever that guy is, I didn't even know what his, what, what his title was, whatever he is. And whatever he's doing, that's what I'm supposed to do in my life. And my, lo- my mom loved that news because she found out her retirement home was long gone because I wasn't going to be a surgeon anymore. But um, that's what God did in my life. And so that's just a little bit about me. Um, we'll probably stick around a little bit after. If anybody wants to come up, we'd love to say hi. Let me jump into the text. Um, it was so beautifully read a second ago. 
for those who take notes, um, the title of my sermon should be on that screen is Shepherds in the Field and Majesty in the Manger. And as we go into Luke chapter 2, the reason I gave it that title was because I wanted to point out the tension of the duality we see in this passage between the mundane and the majestic, the common and the Christ, the ordinary and the extraordinary. Even like when Alex was up here and he was crying and he was kind of, you know, uh, figuring out what, what he wanted to do. Um, we, we were having a moment. We are talking about Advent, a deeply spiritual thing, something that's been passed on for generations and generations, for thousands of years in the church. And he's up here, you know, kind of doing his thing. And that's, that's the, same, the same tension we saw right here is what we see in Luke chapter 2. But at the heart of this tension, of this duality between the, the common and the Christ, the ordinary and the extra, extraordinary is a question. As I prepared for this sermon, this question was like a gnat. It was like a fly that I couldn't shoo away. You know, when a fly's kind of all up in your face right here and you're just trying to, and you can never get it. No matter what, you pull out the fly swatter and then it goes away. It disappears. And then you put the fly swatter down and it comes right back. This question was like that for me. And so this is, this is something that I could not shake. It gnawed at me. Here's the question. Why did God announce the birth of his son to a group of shepherds tending to a flock. Why would God do that? Why, why that group of shepherds on that night? It's not like you can look in scripture and it makes it explicitly states, well, the reason God announced these shepherds was because of A, B, and C. It's not there. I looked, dived into it. And so what I was trying to do was shoo this fly away, the fly of a question, and I was like, hey, God, I have to prepare for this passage. I have to kind of extract what you want. God, illuminate the text for me. And this, meanwhile, this question is just in my mind gnawing at me. And to be honest, I realized that this was the foundation that God really wanted me to, to make front and center. I didn't want to make it front and center. But this question really became kind of the, the crux of my entire passage. Everything I prepared uh, kind of got flipped because of this question that would not go away in my mind. And so because it gnawed at me, I wanted to gnaw at you just a little bit. Why did God tell the shepherds? It's a big announcement. Probably you could argue the, the greatest announcement that's ever been made in all of human history. Why would God tell the shepherds? So imagine this. Let me give you this scenario, and maybe, maybe it'll gnaw at you just a little bit more. Imagine you, you remove from your memory or your mind the shepherds, the magi, Mary and Joseph in the manger, all of that. Everything we know about the, the birth of Christ and the story, all of that's gone. You've got to use your imagination. Try to push that out. God comes to you and says, I have a task. I want you to announce the birth of my son into the world. And this is going to be an unveiling of this grand master plan that started from the beginning of a creation, but this is kind of the, the curtains starting to open. I'm going to reveal this amazing mystery of the ages that will be declared, and people will glorify me for the rest of the ages because of this mystery that's about to be shown by the birth of my son, and you're the one who's going to announce it. So I'm not an event planner. I, I 
plan parties very horribly. It's just not my wheelhouse. But I can use my imagination just a little bit. So I came up with a couple bullet points. What would I do? God comes to me and says, my powers are at your disposal. You're not becoming God. Don't worry. No heresy here. But you're going to plan this event. You're going to plan this announcement. A couple things I thought of. So one, suspend all the natural laws. So I don't want anybody, you know, well, that can't happen because of, okay. So we're suspending all of that. I would have 100 trillion stars marching like an army around the earth, shouting with this starry lungs that God is coming. And we can see it somehow, some way, we're able to see it. with Again, natural law suspended, no harm with gravity or heat, but we can, we can see it. The sky would be a, a changing array of, of colors, heavenly cover, colors. You know those colors when you, you kind of choke on your water a little bit and you start coughing and you can kind of see the purple blue dots, you know, I've never seen this color. I think it's kind of a blue, but you would see those colors in the sky just kind of fluctuating and changing. There would be, like the movie Up, there would be a billion balloons that would form this massive cloud, and it would go around the earth, and it wouldn't get tangled in anything. It wouldn't cause any kind of damage. It would just be this display of celebration. I would have all the living creatures, animals, and people turn their complete attention towards where Mary was about to give birth. And when the baby came, they would shout. Every ear that's deaf, every eye that cannot, cannot see would be open in that moment. And they'd be able to hear this glorious sound to celebrate the coming of the king. I would have monuments built, statues. Every author and poet, I would say, you have to write down your perspective of this experience so it could be passed on for every generation for the rest of time time. These are just a couple things. And you know what? This is just a pregame. I mean, this is just the chips and dip right now. We haven't even gotten to the main show. The point I'm trying to make is the shepherds would not be the front and center on my mind. They would not make the VIP list. If God tasked me with making the announcement, the greatest announcement in all of history, the shepherds would not be part of the plan. They wouldn't be on the agenda. But God, in his infinite wisdom and humility, despite having all, and he could have done anything, he sent messengers to a random group of shepherds on a random field on a random night to tell them that his son was coming. Do you see why this question nod at me just a little bit? So what we're going to do in the text, I do think that God, by his grace, has illuminated some answers, given us some reasons why. Um, I prayed. I poured over it. I came up with a couple uh, reasons, a couple answers myself. And then I went to other voices, listened to some other sermons, read some other articles and commentaries. And I found that a lot of that lined up with some of the stuff that I recognized but there were things that still kind of nod away at me. The answer didn't feel quite resolved. I'll tell you about that in a second. So what, we want, what I want to do is we'll pray. I'm going to read that passage in Luke one more time. We don't have to stand for it. I'll just read through it. And then I'm going to kind of give my, we're going to do a little bit of surgery. Now, my preaching style is usually more like a tour guide. So it's like a cave that I've explored before. I like to bring you in. Oh, look at this. Check this out. Okay, so this color on the stone means this. That's usually kind of what I like to do. This message that I prepare is going to be a little bit more surgical. 
Okay, so we're not exploring a cave. We're looking, you know, we're in surgery together, looking, you know, working on this person, trying to find a, a root cause, trying to find an answer, and then making some observations. So in light of that, what I'm going to do is take us through three observations that I extracted from this text. Not the only observations, but the, the primary three. And then going to go to the question again and give you four reasons why I believe God told the shepherds. So let's pray, and then we'll read that passage one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my family here in Redemption Tucson. It already feels like family. I'm so grateful for this place. I'm grateful for Dave and all the other leaders. And I want your favor and mighty blessing to be here. I want each and every person in this room to experience you, not necessarily in a new way, God, but in a way removed from distraction. And despite pain or heartache or turmoil, that they would see your face and they would recognize you every time they step into these doors, that your name would be exalted, God. Would you bless this sermon that it would edify all of us, including me, would you let your words be heard here? Not my words, God, from my own mind, but generated from your spirit. We need you, God. Give us the ears to hear. Give us the eyes to see. We love you, God, and we praise you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 8 just like uh, they read earlier. I'm going to read as quickly as I can. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Oh, quick pause. What I want you to do is just in your mind, try to point out what jumps out to you. Okay? What, what jumps out to you as we read? Keeping watch over their flock at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, which means very quickly, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned back to their field, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Three observations. Here we go. The first observation, is, again, it should be on the screen over here, is we are not the main characters in God's story, 
but we do have a part to play. To clarify, when I say God's story, I don't mean scripture. It's very obvious that none of us have made the cut. This is canonized. It is closed. It's said and done. But God's story, I mean all of history. There are a lot of narratives competing with God's one true story. But do not be mistaken, there is only one true story, and it belongs to God. Oh, if you're going to clap, let's clap. You know what I mean? I love Hey. Hey, I was born in, in Maryville in my time at Redemption. I, I didn't come from a charismatic church background, more non-denom, but Redemption Alhambra kind of put that charismatic thing in me. So if you guys want to bring it, bring it. Somebody made a joke about shouting uh, heresy earlier. If you guys want to shout heresy, if I please, just speak the truth. Question related to this idea. How would you answer? It's rhetorical. Please don't shout out. Is your life your own? Does your life belong to you? I'm having my, uh, I have, like I said, five girls. My oldest three, uh, Isabel, Alexis, and Olivia, eight, nine, and ten. I'm having them memorize different things. I'm trying to set core foundations of truth in their heart. So Olivia, my eight-year-old, she's memorizing the Lord's Prayer right now. Uh, Alexis, not, she's nine. She's memorizing 1 Corinthians 13, so she has a big one, uh, which is the, the chapter of love, the famous chapter of love. And Isabel, my oldest, we actually have uh, a book called The New City Catechism. Tim Keller's a, a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of it. And she, her, she's tasked with memorizing the first five questions and answers on the New City Catechism, and then they're going to rotate and memorize the other things and all that. But in that New City Catechism, here is the first question, and it's the first question for a reason. The question is simple. What is our only hope in life and death? Think about it. What is our only hope in life and death? According to the New City Catechism, here's the answer. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read verse 14, or at least the first part. It says, glory to God in the highest. It doesn't say glory to Anthony in the highest. It doesn't say glory to Dave in the highest. It doesn't say glory to Marielle in the highest. It says glory to God in the highest. All of creation is all about him. He is the top of the mountain. He's above the mountain. It's all about him. We do not belong to ourselves. We are not the main characters of our lives. He is. God is. Now listen to this. This is not a point that you'll see on the screen, but it is kind of a sub, my, my sub point here. The direction Attention and devotion of our lives are determined by whether we perceive life as an individual's pursuit or something owned by God and stewarded by us. Let me read that one more time. The direction, where we're going in life, what school you go to, who you marry, the jobs you apply for, our direction, our attention, pretty self-explanatory, what we see visually, what we put in our mind, 
and devotion, what are we giving our heart to, is determined by whether we perceive life as an individual's pursuit or our life belongs to us, myself, or something owned by God that we just steward. Life is so precious. What a gift life is that God has given us. But make no mistake, it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to God. And he determines our steps, where our attention should be, and where our soul and heart and mind belong. Is this true for our lives? It's Listen, the culture is not helping us out on this one. The culture is saying, look, it's all you. It's all you. Everything about your life is completely up to you. And I get it. It's an appealing idea that we belong to ourselves. We've grown up in it. It's rooted in our hearts. Anybody who's born and raised in the States like myself, it is rooted in us. It's culturally embedded into our heart so deeply that even my words may be so offensive to you that you might not want to hear me speak anymore. The idea that your life is not your own is an offensive concept according to our culture. But, but this is good news. This is not bad news that we don't belong to ourselves. It is a good thing that we belong, life and body, life and death, body and soul, to God. Second observation. There is a theme of arrival, praise, and departure that we see in this text. Two specific examples. One is the angels and one is the shepherds, and I'll talk about why that's important. But let me read these verses specific to the angels. Verse 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them so the angel arrived verse 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God arrival praise and verse 15 says when the angels went away from them when they went away they departed now let's look at the shepherds in verse 16 it says and they talking about the shepherds went with haste they found Mary Joseph and the baby swaddled in cloths. And then verse 20, and the shepherds returned back to their field. So they left Mary and Joseph and the baby glorifying and praising God. Just take a quick detour off, off the main road here for a sec. Isn't it so strange that the shepherds left Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? They just had a visit from an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host. I'm sure probably the biggest thing that's ever happened. They're just shepherds, blue-collar guys. Probably the biggest thing that's ever happened. And the angel says, you don't believe me, go in that manger, go to Bethlehem, go in that manger, you're going to see a baby. That's going to support what I'm saying. That's going to prove what I'm saying. They went, they saw the baby, and they were praising God. This is true what the angel told us. So two events back-to-back that were earth-shattering, life-changing for them, and they left. I feel like if it was me, I'd be like, you guys got like an extra sleeping bag or a tent. I am setting up shop. I'm with wherever that baby goes, that's where I'm going. But they left. It's funny, I asked my girl, I can't remember which one of my daughters said it, but I was asking them, why do you think the shepherds left after these big things happened? And one of them said, because they had work to do. There's a word there. God has a word there. I'm not going to dive into it, but I'll let you guys chew on that. This pattern, this theme of arrival, praise, and departure is the pattern of a missional life. We show up 
and we display the gospel. We give praise to God. We exalt his name, and then we send others out to do the same. And this is the pattern, the same pattern of the angels, the same pattern of the shepherds. That's the life that we who follow Jesus should be living you guys here, what's so beautiful is that you prayed for other churches. I've never seen that before. What a beautiful thing that you're not so egotistical and that you don't view the mission of God only within the parameters of these walls because it's not. But my family's here from Phoenix, and I hope to be a blessing. But really, I'm, we're going to get in our car. We're going to go back to Phoenix, and we're going to follow the calling of, of, of God in our lives. But you guys are here in Tucson and just in the short time we've been here, we've already been able to recognize where the gospel is needed. It is evident. It's out there right out these doors. We can see it. And so I am so grateful that God has put not just this community, but the communities that you guys are recognizing and praying for. But you have to think about how you fit into it. Every person in this seat, not talking to anyone out there, just us in this room is the pattern of your life. Kind of going back, a nod back to my first point here, my first observation, is your life your own? Chances are, if it is, you're not living in this pattern. You're not displaying the gospel. And this isn't to put you on black. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad in this room. But the reality is God has called us to a mission. Not just a, a golden ticket to heaven, but a mission here. Because people need the gospel. We need it. We need it more than water. We need Christ. This is a, the pattern that we should follow displaying the gospel. Final observation, observation three, is the gospel produces wonder and treasure in the hearts of those who experience it. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, when the shepherds came to Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they said, you guys won't believe it. Angels came to us and told us that you would be here, that this is the chosen one. Your baby is the Christ. After generations and hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting, the chosen one, the Messiah is here. Our Lord is here. I'm looking at the Lord with my own eyes. Put yourself there. And Mary treasured that up. That became for Mary a rooted memory of the goodness of God. What I like to call gospel memories. The angels did it for the shepherds. They visited the shepherds. Rooted memory of God's goodness. A gospel memory. The shepherds then carried that to Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and anybody who was around and created more gospel memories. These things are anchors in the darkest times of our life. We need gospel memories. We have spiritual disciplines. We have prayer. We have solitude, time with God. We have community. All of these things are important. But part of that in our toolbox is gospel memories. What gospel memories do you have? What memories can you look back on over the course of your life walking with God where you can see his hand moving and you can remember, is it few and far between? 
Or can you just see a, pat, a cadence of God just working in, in your life and the people you love? If there are very few, then I'll pray. God, give you more. But here in this community is where you're going to see that happen a lot more. And my prayer is that you guys would instill these type of memories in each other. One homework assignment for you guys. I know it's not school and it's Sunday and no, not, nobody's really a big fan of homework. But just a challenge is think of one person that you can instill a gospel memory into. To clarify, I don't necessarily mean an act of kindness. Those things are good, but when you're processing the death of a loved one, a loss of a job, an act of kindness by itself is not going to help. Follow the pattern of the shepherd and the angels. Go into someone's life and exalt the name of God. Tell them why God is good. So when you leave and you go continue to carry that, that word somewhere else and something happens in their life that brings darkness, they're going to hold on to that memory. I remember, I remember when Eric came over and he was telling me about what God did. And if God can do that for him, maybe he can do it for me because, man, I'm hurting right now. We got to instill these gospel memories into each other. So these are my three observations. And now back to the question, the gnat, the fly that just won't go away. Why in the world did God make this announcement to a group of shepherds taking care of some dirty, stinky sheep? I don't know if you've ever been to a petting zoo. Petting zoo. They're not the, the nicest smelling creatures in the world. I don't even know why I said that. It's just a, that was, maybe that's my fourth observation. But I have four reasons why God announced the birth of his son to a group of shepherds. This isn't just from me, even though these ideas are kind of the way I'm wording them. But, you know, I've, I've looked into some commentaries and, you know, men and women much smarter and wiser than myself, um, you know, also had these kind of theories on why God made the announcement. So the first one is pretty simple. They were near to Jesus, within close proximity, actual location-wise. They were near to Jesus. Um, so this could have been something simple. Like I said, I have five girls. Every time a girl was born, I was so excited to tell uh, the people I cared about. Uh, I blasted them on Facebook, you know, social media. I'm sure you guys have all. I didn't burn down any forests trying to announce the, the arrival of my daughters, but um, some of you got that. Some of you got that. Um, but, um, you know, it could have been as simple as a father just wanting people in the hood to come celebrate his baby boy coming. Like, I need Mary and Joseph there, the people close to them. Yeah, I need more people. This party is not big enough. Goes to a group of shepherds. Hey, you guys, come on over here to Bethlehem. Let's celebrate. What I think, though, is that this is a nod to something Jesus said 33 years from this passage when he rose again from the dead, and he was with his followers, and he said, look, I'm going to go be by my father's side, but I'm going to send a helper to be with you. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the hood. That's where we're at. In Judea and Samaria, uh-oh, that's on the other side of the tracks, but you're going to be my witness there. And then to the ends of the earth. See, in the Christmas story, not the one where the kid is about to shoot his eye out with the BB gun, but the Christmas story as in the birth of Jesus, in all the Gospels, we see converging narratives, right? A perspective from the Magi, 
a close-up shot of Mary and Joseph, even a, an encounter between Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, and, and Mary, and there's a, a beautiful song that Mary sings. And then we, then we see here, the shepherds, all, it's kind of like a Tarantino or a Christopher Nolan movie, right? It's just like all these different perspectives and different timelines and locations, and they're all coming together on one central idea, which is the birth of God into the world. So that's the apex idea, that the, the main point, but all these different perspectives are being told. And here's what I'm seeing, is that these perspectives represent what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Mary and Joseph represent Jerusalem, the immediate, immediately close. Then the Magi come. Uh, Joshua, my pastor, preached on the Magi last week, and they came from a really far place. In the east is what the scripture says. It took them a long time to get there, and they represent the ends of the earth, whereas in the shepherds fall right in the middle, and they would represent Judea and Samaria in the same region as Bethlehem, but not in Bethlehem. We know that because they said, let's go to Bethlehem. So I think the reason God shared this news, one of the reasons God shared this news with the shepherds was because it fit into this nod towards his greater mission that Jesus would declare. There's going to be reality here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then eventually witnesses will be sent to the ends of the earth. And we see that here in the birth of Jesus, not just Luke 2, but in all the gospels and the telling of the birth. A second reason why I think God announced the birth of his son to those shepherds is it's a prophetic symbol of who Jesus is and what his plan was going to be. So I got to, hopefully I don't lose my spot here. I got to flip around. So John 10, let me read this. John 10, Jesus is speaking and says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now I'm going to go to that scary book that people either avoid or are a little too interested in, Revelation. Let me, let me start. It's verse 12, but let me, let me start with 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That sounds familiar, right? Saying with a loud voice, here it is, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Who did God make the announcement to? Shepherds and sheep. This is the picture of who Jesus is, the good shepherd, and the lamb who was slain, a telling and a point to of what he was going to do with his life on this earth. And there's a third sign here with the angels point to, which is a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Biblically, there's two types of signs for the most part. The first is to validate a message. So if somebody's talking about a sign, think Moses and Pharaoh. Moses came to Pharaoh. These are God's people. Let them go. That's the message. If you don't want to do that, Pharaoh, there's going to be some signs that you're not going to like that are going to validate that what I'm saying is true, that the one true God is giving me this message. The second type of sign is a shadow or a shade of something that's coming down the line or pointing to something that's better. So think of King David. Uh, he's often referenced as, a, as a, a lesser Jesus. I don't remember the exact phrasing that people use. But a shadow of the Christ to come. So we looked at baby, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. 
That is a sign of God's humanity. God, fully God, remaining fully God, but putting on the swaddling cloths of human skin and bone. And then lying in a manger, we have a manger up here, and a lot of people believe that mangers were set in a kind of a room of stone, which is uh, pointing to the type of death or burial that Jesus would be uh, in a tomb with the stone rolled over to it. The third reason why I believe God announced the birth of his son to a group of shepherds is to make it known that his plan of restoration is for all people. Billy Graham is credited with kind of coming up or, or being kind of the main guy who, who made this statement. That he would come to the shepherds and announce it to them shows that this is not just something for lofty castles with the richest royalty. This is for common, everyday people like you and I. The shepherds, like I said, were just blue-collar guys, probably telling a little bit too many fart jokes, probably drinking a little bit too much after work, just regular guys. God came to them and gave them an announcement. And that's alluding to, hey, this is for everybody. I'm not storing this up and only giving it to a special subsect of your social hierarchy that you guys create and try to trample each other on. No, it's for everybody. This message that I'm bringing of good, good news and great joy is for everyone. And that I would tell a group of random shepherds. We don't know any shepherds' names. We don't know what time of the night, what day, what time of the, the year. We don't know any of those type of details. God came to them to give them the message. This is, this is such good news that God's message of hope, his gospel would be for all of us. We have all of these social barriers between each other. Even in our, our own bubbles, right? You, you might have uh, like a single parent bubble or a stay-at-home parent bubble. You might have uh, an accountant bubble, like your social sphere. I'm in the corporate world, so I see this firsthand. All, in fact, I think the corporate, climbing the corporate ladder is kind of used a lot in this type of you know, language that I'm given. But even in the church, there are these bubbles of space socially that we create to try to put ourselves ahead of each other. God, we want to be so far ahead of others because we think that determines our worth. But Jesus gave the gospel to all of us. The ground is even. It's for all of us. We don't have to fight each other. Knock down whatever social walls that you've put barriers between people because they believe in this politically or theologically. They fall into this camp. There's a wall there. You know it's there. They probably know it's there. But the gospel is intended to break down those walls. Hey, hey, come on. If, you wanna, if someone wants to run up and down these aisles... Am I good on time? How much time do I got? I'm about to wrap up. I'm okay. I'm going to finish up. The clock is on. Here we go. With these three, these were kind of the points that I came up with, but I didn't feel resolved when I was studying and preparing the sermon. I felt like there had to be something else that I was missing. So I was praying. I asked, I bugged my wife so much. How, why do you think God came to the shepherds? Tell me why. She's like, I don't know. Stop asking me. Why do you think? I was like, I'm asking you. A little glimpse into our marriage there. 
But man, I was like, ah, these, I mean, these are great. I had a couple more reasons too why I think God came to the shepherds, but I just didn't, I feel like there was something I was missing. So I was in my cave. I work from home. So I was in my little work from home cave that I work in. I was like, I got to get out of this space. Maybe it's just the, the, the room I'm in. So when my family was asleep, um, uh, you know, over the course of the past month, I would go outside. One of my favorite things to do, what, what stirs up in my heart affections towards God, is just looking at the stars. Love it. The, the stars are the ocean. I could just stare at them forever. I don't do it as much as I would like, but, man, looking up at the stars just awakens something in me. It stirs something up. So that's what I did. I went outside praying about this. God, show me. Am I missing? Is this it? Or is there, is there something here? And as I was out looking at the stars, God brought to my mind Psalm 8. I didn't know it was Psalm 8 at the time, but just bits and pieces of it. And so I was trying to stay off my phone trying to get that time with God in prayer, but I was like, ah, I got to pick up the phone because I got to know what psalm this is and what it says. And that's when I saw that it was Psalm 8, where King David, who was once, ironically, a shepherd boy, a pimple-faced shepherd boy, and he wrote a lot of songs for Jesus. And this was one of them. This was one of the songs that he wrote. And I think that he probably wrote this when he was shepherding, or at least kind of started putting it together when he was out in the field, which again, I love that connection. And he was looking up at the sky. And, and when I read this, this psalm, I thought, you know, I think, I think there's something here. And so I start reading through it and I get to verse three and four and it was like a light bulb went off. God made it clear. So let me read Psalm eight, verse three and four. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon And the stars which you have set in place, here it is, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? What I realized when God brought this psalm to memory as I was praying through the question is that I I wasn't really asking why the shepherds, I was asking why me? God, if you would go to a group of shepherds and give them this kind of news, why would you give me the gospel in the same way? I don't get it. Look at my life, God. Apart from your grace, I am a wretched, wretched human being. I am so sinful and deplorable. There is so much about my life that is awful apart from the work of God. I am a mess. Maybe you don't relate to that, but man... I just can't understand why an infinite God would spend one iota of time considering me. Why would he consider regular dudes like the shepherds? I don't get it. We're so set apart from him. We're so far removed from him because of our sin. And yet the scripture makes clear. John 3.16, probably the most known verse of all time, but it loses the weight because we see it on coffee mugs and, you know, you know your Nana's background wallpaper. It loses that. It loses the weight, right? But the reality is that God sent Jesus to us because he loves us. So going back to the question on the shepherds, why would he tell them? It's simple. It was so simple. God loved them. He loved them. Not just, yeah, God loves the world. He loves all of us. We get it. He loved those shepherds. 
in that field on that night. He was mindful of them. Redemption Tucson, listen to me. If you forget everything else I said, said so far today, remember this. God is mindful of you. God cares for you. You. God loves you. God loves you. He was mindful of the shepherds. He cared for them. He loved them. And he does the same, the same for all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is so convicting and such a blessing to our lives, giving us glimpses of your plan, showing us things that we can look back onto and exalt your name with, the story of Jesus, the announcement to the shepherds, all of it. God, would, I want to pray specifically for Tucson, the, the people in this room, God, that you would bless them in such a mighty way, that your favor would be on them, your hand would be on them, that they would go out and create these gospel memories in people's lives and in each other. God, that they would recognize the need of where the gospel should go, and they would go despite any kind of distraction or busyness or fear, that they would be faithful and go. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for this group, God. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.